Jesus, you are what we need and nothing else will do. And so, Lord, open your word to us this morning and speak to us the things that we need to hear. Convict us, Lord, where we are wrong and heal us, Lord, that we might do right. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage from the book of Acts this morning, it starts in chapter 7, verse 54. And we're going to go into chapter 8 until we get to verse 3. And it picks up right where we left off last week. And I don't know if you noticed this, but last week uh, we left off at a really big cliffhanger. All right? And so I've got to do this morning what, um, you know, the best TV shows do previously on the book of Acts. Right? The end of the passage last Sunday, uh, we saw Stephen the deacon stand up and make this bold, prophetic stand against the synagogue of the freedmen and uh, the elders and the scribes in that Jewish courtroom. And they accused him of all sorts of things, right? But namely, of blaspheming God and selling Judaism out, being a traitor. And so they bring Stephen to this council and they, they make him plead. And so Stephen, with the opportunity, gave this speech a 10-minute speech. And in the first eight minutes, he tells them the story of redemption from Abraham all the way to the present day. And then, with the last two minutes, he turns to these misguided Jews and says, you're the guilty ones. Not me. You're the guilty ones. They were the ones who were blaspheming God. And they were the ones who were missing what God was doing with the fulfillment of Judaism Our passage for today describes how this council responds and what they do to Stephen particularly. And I want to read that passage uh, again just so it's fresh in our minds. Let me uh, encourage you, if you have a Bible, turn there and follow along. I think you'll find it helpful as we go. Acts chapter 7, verse 54, all the way to chapter 8, verse 3. Now when they, the council, heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, it doesn't take very long in this passage for things to heat up, right? I mean, I I get to the middle of the very first verse, and we come to this thing called rage. Rage. What what is the first thing that pops into your mind when you think of rage? 
Maybe it's the uh, you know, angry drivers on US 60. Yeah? Um, maybe it's a particular heavy metal band from the 90s. Extra credit if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, maybe it's uh, how you felt on Tuesday when the sun's lost. Is that too soon? In this story, it says that the freedmen and the elders and the scribes were enraged by what Stephen said. It's, it's hard to be you know, more forceful than that about what they were experiencing. And against all good dental advice, evidently, it says they grind their teeth at him, right? Now, the way that Luke describes this scenario is very intentional. He is laying out for us an extremely ironic set of circumstances. Now, when I think of that word, ironic, I think of another musician from the 90s, Alanis Morissette, and her very popular song, Isn't It Ironic? She sings, it's a traffic jam when you're already late, a no-smoking sign on your cigarette break. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. It's meeting the man of your dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. Isn't it ironic? What in the world could be ironic about this angry mob? What is Luke trying to tell us? The irony is that these people are about to actively carry out the things that Stephen just said they were guilty of. In verse 51 of our passage last week where Stephen gives this scathing rebuke, he told them they're stiff-necked and they resist the Holy Spirit. So what do they do? They get angry, and they gnash their teeth at him. Now, you probably are aware of this, but throughout the the Bible, the gnashing of teeth is a description of what the wicked do when they see the righteous. They gnash their teeth. So it's ironic that the supposed righteous people here are gnashing their teeth. Stephen told them in our passage last week, they're uncircumcised in heart and in ear. So what do they do? They cover their ears in verse 57. That's ironic. (laughs) Stephen asked them last week, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? So what do they do? They persecute Stephen, who's speaking prophetically through God's spirit. Isn't it ironic? Again, in this moment, just like he had before, before they drug him into council, Stephen is just absolutely crushing them in this debate. And so they decide to crush him, literally. That's ironic. What we see in verses 55 to 56 is that Stephen looks up to the sky and he has this vision of God and Jesus at his right hand, ruling and reigning. And when they see Stephen experiencing this, in verse 8 it says, they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. That verse took me less than 10 seconds to read. Right? Consider, though, how long this action must have actually taken. They were inside the council of the high priest when this happened. And so, they would need to grab Stephen, take him out of the council of the high priest, and then out of the temple complex, and then out of the city walls. And then, they would need to find a suitable piece of ground with enough rocks nearby And then after throwing Stephen down, they would need to get enough people who could pick up those rocks, varying in sizes from baseballs to basketballs. 
And then those people would have to pick up the rocks and throw them down on Stephen's face and body until his bones splintered, until his organs failed. Now, I think that takes no less than 10 minutes. 10 minutes of terror. And do we know why they did this? It wasn't just rage. They didn't just lose their temper and then regret it later. Now, in their minds, they were obeying the law. They were obeying the law. Leviticus 24, verse 14. Bring out of the camp, out of the camp, the one who blasphemes God. And let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let the whole congregation stone him. Do you see how deceptive evil is? The worst kinds of evil disguise themselves as righteousness. Now, I'm not saying that the law was evil. I'm saying that these people thinking that they were keeping the law is evil. These people, they didn't understand that they were the blasphemers. They didn't understand that they were the ones who deserved to die outside the city. Right? Even more than that, they didn't understand that uh, what Stephen was speaking to them about this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, they didn't understand that he was the one who came to the earth to be the one to die on a hill outside the city for the sins of the whole world. They didn't get it. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 12, so Jesus suffered outside the city in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And so in their misguided fit of rage, these people, they perform another unjust execution just as they were responsible for Jesus's and all the while they thought they were doing God's work. Isn't it ironic? Now what we should notice about Stephen is that at every step of the way in this incident, he's preaching the gospel to them. He's boldly proclaiming the truth about who Jesus is, and and through that, he's giving them an opportunity to hear and then to repent, to have a circumcised ear and heart. He is not simply condemning them and saying, good riddance, go to that place of judgment. No, Stephen wants their redemption. He wants them to be saved. How do we know that? We know because of the way he dies. He kneels to pray. He cries out to God to receive his spirit. And then he prays for God's forgiveness on the people who are killing him right at that moment. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Stephen's an image of Jesus in his death. And he's preaching the gospel in the very way that he dies. Stephen is charged with the same things that Jesus is charged with. Stephen declares the truth without fear of their threats, just as Jesus did. Stephen is executed by the same people who crucified Jesus, and Stephen dies with the same attitude of love and mercy that Jesus did. And in so doing, Stephen not only becomes the very first martyr 
of the Christian faith. But he becomes the model of what martyrdom should look like. Now, what do I mean by martyrdom? We hear that word a lot in secular contexts. You know, people are martyrs for all sorts of political and social causes. We even hear that word a good deal in religious contexts. Uh, Think of, you know, radical Muslims who blow themselves up in jihad, martyrs for the faith. Those things are not what martyrdom looks like in the Christian faith. See, the word martyr, it comes from the Greek word uh, martus, which means witness or testimony. And so Christian martyrs are those who are killed because of their witness about Jesus or because they refuse to recant their faith in him, and that's the testimony of which they are killed for. Now, we need to go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which we reference almost every single week, where Jesus says to his apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you guessed it. The word witnesses is martyres, martyrs. Jesus tells them, although they didn't realize at the time that it would involve death, that they are going to be his witnesses, his martyrs. Now, interestingly, Stephen, and not the apostles, he actually becomes the first witness to die for his faith. But as we know, each of the apostles followed suit. They were with Jesus to the end, even if it meant death. In fact, uh, Stephen's death at this moment, very on in the story of the church, it became the impetus for a tidal wave of persecution and martyrdom which would come. We heard that in in verse 1 of chapter 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now we need to understand that not every follower of Jesus at that time uh, became a martyr. And not every Christian today will be a martyr. Yet, it is the same now as it was then. And that is that every Christian is called to love Jesus above everything else, even his or her own life. As Jesus says very explicitly in John chapter 12, verse 25. And so you might say that while every Christian is not called to be a martyr, every Christian is called to be willing to be a martyr, if it comes to that. Now the truth is that many Christians today and throughout history are no more willing to die for their faith than they are to forgive their enemies when they're mistreated. Stephen gives us a picture of what martyrdom looks like, and he does both. He's confronted the enemies of Jesus through a powerful witness of the gospel, and it's completely nonviolent. He was willing to give up his life rather than to lose his faith. And in the moment of his death, he prays salvation, forgiveness for those who put him to death. I think that's incredible. How can we not marvel at that kind of witness? Now, before this passage comes to a close, we are introduced to a fanatically religious young law student from a city called Tarsus, in the region of Cilicia, and his name is Saul. And we're going to see him again once or twice. 
But what we know, what we know right now at this moment, is that Saul approved of Stephen's execution, and he gladly held the coats of those who smashed his face in. And evidently, this incident, it inspired Saul. It's like watching an inspirational video on YouTube to get yourself pumped up. Saul is inspired by this moment to ravage the church with persecution. Now, what's in Saul's mind and what's in the mind of of the freedmen who do this? What they wanted was to eradicate from Judaism this idea that a crucified man could somehow be the Messiah for Israel. And even more than that, God himself. Now, what Saul did not understand then, he would understand later that Jesus' death on the cross, it's not foolish. It's actually the power of God to bring new life to everyone who believes in him. That's ironic, don't you think? In the same way, what we'll see as we continue on in the book of Acts is that faithful Christians, uh, the death of faithful Christians, far from eradicating the message of the gospel, is actually God's very means to spread the gospel to new places. That was true in the Roman Empire, and it's true today in China, in Iran, in North Korea, in Saudi Arabia, and Sudan and Iraq, and so on and so forth. Less than 200 years after Stephen's martyrdom, the church father, Tertullian, wrote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Isn't that ironic? Let's pray. Jesus, we are mindful of the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of Christian martyrs who would rather die for their faith than live without it. And through their death, through their faithful witness, Lord, we today have had a chance to believe. We might not experience the salvation we experience if it weren't for martyrs like Stephen. So Jesus, we pray that their sacrifice would not be in vain. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, if you call us to it, that we would be willing to gladly give our lives to preach the gospel to those who have not heard. Keep us faithful And hold us fast, just as you did for our brother Stephen. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.